All right, so we are recording. So welcome to Talking Tea with Amanda. This is episode six, Faith and Trust in the Midst of Fear. Um, and today I have a very good friend of mine that I want to introduce to everyone. Her name is Pamela Hempstead. Um, Pam and I go way back. I'm not even sure, Pam, how far back do we go? I feel like it's like early 2000s or something like that that we met. Yeah, it was like 2005, 2006, yeah. maybe 2004 even. I think so. I think it's more like 2004. I know mm-hmm. I had just moved to Charlotte a couple of years before that um, and trying to get a, a group of, you know, just trying to meet people. And I think we met at the yoga studio. Was it the yoga studio we that did. we met? Yeah. Yes. Thanks to <laughs> so, Wanda. Tense. Yes. Thank you, Wanda. Mind body experience was that the yes, name? Yes, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> I taught cycle there after I'd been there for a little that's bit. That's right. Yeah, and I think um, the cycle class was some of the well, first time I'd ever done cycle at all, and wow. uh, kicked my butt. It was hard. Cycle then do yoga right after. It was such a divine combination. <laughs> it really and that is. Was when you discovered your Amanda loveness, being he has. Work those fingers out on bodies, and I was happy to be a recipient. <laughs> yes, yes, I enjoyed. You know, as a massage therapist, Pam was also a client of mine, and she had this name for me, Amanda Love. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so I'm so glad that Pam is here, and today I, I, I just wanted to. I know October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and and um, Pam is a, is a survivor of breast cancer. Actually, very recently, she had a double mastectomy. And so she's going to share some of her journey with us today. Um, and I wanted to title this episode, Faith, Trust, and, um, Faith and Trust in the Midst of Fear, because um, it seems to be everywhere. And as you know, when it, whenever you get a diagnosis of breast cancer, or any kind of cancer for that matter, you automatically go down the rabbit hole of fear. Um, and then with the pandemic, add on a pandemic on top of that, that's like a double yeah. whammy. Um, and so we'll go through a little bit of that um, in, in this discourse today. Um, but before we, um, before we begin all of that, um, I want us to connect with tea. I am drinking like a pumpkin spice tea in honor of pumpkin season. <laughs> nice. Um, what do you have in Pam? Well, this is my bay mug that my oldest niece got for me, best auntie ever. Nice. And I am drinking a turmeric mushroom lemon-based tea, which what? is so delightful. Oh I my God. Vitamin C, vitamin D, lemon juice, turmeric, and, and those healthy mushrooms in it. All right. You're definitely going to have to send me that because that sounds magical, actually. <laughs> I think we should all be drinking a little bit of turmeric and mushroom. <laughs> Vitamin C doesn't, uh, helps as well, especially during this time. Um, so I like for us, before we begin doing anything for us to just drop into, um, a little bit of stillness and silence, um, with ourselves, with the tea, and you can feel free to place your palms on your mug and just allow some of that heat to radiate into your body. Feel free to close your eyes. And we're just going to allow spirit to invite spirit to be here with us. Know that this conversation that we have is not just between the two of us. 
And there's the third that's present with us. And as we connect with our breath and our bodies, bringing ourselves into this present moment. Just allowing the stillness that surrounds us to inform us. Courageously let go of any inner and outer noises. Keep bringing ourselves back to the center of this moment. We can relax into our bodies, releasing any tension in the face and eyes and jaw, relaxing down through the shoulders. Letting any tension in the belly also release. You can just breathe with ease. Wind in through the hips. And just finding a deep contentment with, with this moment and what this moment has to offer us. We invite the Holy One to, to guide us in our session. That whatever messages need to be heard will, will come through, not just for you and I, Pam, but also for our listeners as well. And when you're ready, we'll take a sip of your tea. Mm, smells so good to just breathe in the scent of pumpkin. <laughs> Uh, seem pumpkin is everywhere these days, right? As soon as September comes, you've got pumpkin scones, pumpkin ice cream, pumpkin yeah. coffee. <laughs> it's like overkill on pumpkin, pumpkin waffles. <laughs> right. And then once you get into it, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> oh gosh. I remember like pumpkin growing up in Guyana, my grandmother used to, um, one of my favorite dishes I remember with pumpkin, she would make pumpkin and shrimp together oh. like curry and add curry to that wow. it's so good so oh, delicious sure. uh, if you've never had pumpkin and shrimp before um and a little curry um have some Sounds um yummy. it is very good it is very good with a little bit of white rice okay. <laughs> uh rice food of the souls right it really um, is <laughs> so Pam, I just want to open it up um, for you to share a little bit of your story. Um, and maybe your story begins um, not with your diagnosis, but maybe take us back to your first experience with even hearing the word breast cancer. My first experience hearing the word breast cancer came from my mom in 1997-98 when she was diagnosed with it. Hmm. She had been um, very aggressive in getting her mammograms yearly. She had had a clean mammogram just the year before and uh, in just a year's time she had an invasive form of breast cancer. Um, they did a lumpectomy. They took six lymph nodes 
In just a year's time, it had spread to five of the six lymph nodes. So for me, breast cancer meant death. My mom battled it for just two short years and she was gone. It, um, she did the lumpectomy, she did chemo, she did radiation. She was clean for a year and then it came back with such voraciousness that it just, it was all over uh, all our organs, her bones. And um, it came back in June of 2000 and we all just held our breath and we were scared and we were nervous and then nothing in July, nothing in August. And we just started to just sigh that sigh of relief. September, October, we were good. She took a cruise in early November. Thanksgiving Eve, she went to bed and when she woke up, things had drastically changed. Mm. She had no energy. She couldn't even walk. She couldn't walk. Um, went to a series of doctors, went to a specialist who it was her first time seeing my mom. And she was angry. She said, I, I don't understand what your doctors have been doing. This, this should not be. And when she said goodbye to us, there was such a level of sorrow in her eyes. I knew that she knew she was saying goodbye because it wasn't um, it was going to be my mom's last few days. And so that was when it really hit me. I was going to lose my mom. Mm-hmm. And um, she had just a brief period in the hospital, just two days. And she wanted to come home. In literally hours, she went from being able to verbally communicate to not being able to verbally communicate. I mean, things just went so fast. And she died at home amongst very close friends and family. It was it was like the best way to die. Uh, she was in the comfort of her home. She was a, a, a football fan, so we had ESPN on. Nice. In the room, people were playing cards. We were cooking. We were, you know, just trying to keep the the atmosphere as light as possible. And uh, she died holding my brother's hand. And we circled up at that moment, and we prayed, and and we you know, just professed our love that she already knew and felt. And that was uh, my first recollection of breast cancer. And Mm -hmm. so when I received my diagnosis, I know that must have rocked my brother and sister significantly because our, our knowledge of breast cancer only meant death. Right. Right. Fortunately, my diagnosis is one of, um, a different story because knowing what I knew about breast cancer and even when my mom was diagnosed, I went and I, I got a baseline mammogram and I had a cyst in the same breast that my mom had breast cancer in my left breast. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, mine was benign. I had it biopsied twice, uh, once in 2002 and once in 2004. And Going through that process of uh, having the biopsies kind of made me feel comfortable with recognizing, okay, a cyst in my breast doesn't necessarily mean breast cancer. Right. So then I got lax. And, um, you know, for a while I was a small business owner. And when money gets tight, you start letting go of the things that don't seem to be as relevant. And I have been healthy all of my life rarely have to go to the doctor, if ever. And so health insurance was one of the first things that I I canceled and never really looked back. You know, each year it got easier and easier for me to not 
be vigilant about my breasts. And so, um, but I also made a concerted effort to steer clear of women that I knew were in that battle because that was a trigger Mm. for me. Ah, so tell me a little bit about what that, what that trigger would do for you. What did it bring up for you? It took me back to losing my mom, who Mm. was my rock. She was my everything. It would always spiral me into loss, pain, grieving. And I didn't want to have to do that. Ah. I just steered clear. Right. Until I have a, a girlfriend who sent me a message and she said, hey, I'm having surgery and I want to have dinner with some of my girlfriends. I would love for you to make it. I didn't know what surgery she was having. Had I known, I would not have gone. And and that's how God works, right? Right. Like, oh, no, you're coming. You're going to be there. And you I don't think need I to know the why. You just need to right. know you need to be there. Right. Bring into action. And... <laughs> And so I happened to be sitting next to her and seemingly everyone there knew but me. So I did the inappropriate thing and I leaned over and whispered. I said, what kind of surgery are you having? (laughs) And she said, I have breast cancer and I'm having a single mastectomy. What was your reaction? Ah, Dang it. I don't want this. Right, right. So trying to run away and escape and here it is coming right back to you. Had a straight Jonah moment. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I, I told her, I said, okay, well, then you're going to be my God assignment. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and jump in this with two feet because I'm here. And so I was at the hospital with her husband and a couple of other girlfriends when she had her mastectomy. I, I delivered her food. And um, I would say about six months after things kind of settled, we met for lunch at Kid Cashew. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were sitting there talking and I said, you know, truth be told, I haven't had my mammogram in, in quite a while. And mm. she's a little older than me. And so she did the black mama look and you know, <laughs> cocked her head to the side. And she said, right. well, Pam, why wouldn't you want to know? Right. And she worked on me. And I, you know, I, I just thought at the time I was a little cocky, Amanda. I, I thought, I can't remember the last time I needed to go to the doctor. I'm healthy. I eat clean. My body is a place that fights disease. It doesn't facilitate disease. I don't eat sugar. I don't, you know, I'm thinking I I got this. Right, right. I've been good for all these years. I'm going to be good. Right. And she sent me a text message with, uh, she journaled with her note in her note section of her phone. Mm -hmm. And in this excerpt was a picture of me. And it said, this is my friend, Pam, who's a well health and wellness expert. And she won't get her a mammogram. I wonder Uh, why. And I was like, wow, she went there. She she just dropped it, literally dropped it on you, right? It's sort of like, yeah. yeah. Because I mean, I think so many of us do that, right? Like we forget where we're in this, you know, we eat healthy, we have positive thinking and we yep. think that that's enough. We exercise and we think that's enough. And, right. and it's like you said, we get cocky that the ego comes out and it's like, who, me? No, that right. happens to other people, but right. it doesn't happen to me. 
until we get a little bit of a humble pie and it's like, oh, I got to eat this now. I got to eat this now. (laughs) And I was doing self-checks. Right. So I I felt like I was being somewhat proactive. I knew I was burying my head in the sand, but I was being somewhat proactive uh, doing self-checks. And finally, I got an email from my part-time job. I work at the Y and I qualified for Obamacare. Hmm. And had it not been for my girlfriend, Faye, I would not have even paid attention to that email. Mm. But I did. And so I I submitted my information. And as soon as January came, I went to the doctor with my laundry list. You know, you go in like, okay, I need these, got to do these checkups. And oh, my hip kind of hurts and my foot hurts. And I got to get my breast smashed, my titty smashed and all that. (laughs) And so I go. For my mammogram in January. I'm not surprised when I get the, the call back for, you know, need to biopsy this area. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes right. from the territory. And so I go and, and they do the, the additional, that I do the biopsy. And the biopsy was on a Thursday. And they set a follow-up appointment for Tuesday. And so... Friday evening at 6 p.m., I get an email. It was the pathology report. Mm-hmm. And there were several words on there, several letters and in- initials that I didn't understand. But what I did understand at the bottom was negative for invasive carcinoma. Right. I was like, bet, I'm straight. So I took a little snapshot and I sent it to my girlfriends, my prayer partners. Hey, I'm good. Thanks for praying. I'm thinking I'm, I, I'm thinking I'm good. And so I had one sister in Christ who actually had had a biopsy around the same time as me. And I told her, I said, you know, I've got a follow-up appointment on Tuesday. I don't even think I'm going to go. And she said, I think you should go. Mm. And three is my number. And on that Sunday before she told me three times between Mm. Sunday school, morning worship, worship and evening service Pam, you need to go. Pam, you need to go. And you know, uh, I'm hard-headed, Amanda. I still was on the fence because I I teach cycle classes on Tuesday morning. Right, right. You don't want to miss it. Pandemic. So 9.30 cycle class. I had a Bible study scheduled with somebody. I was going to work out with this fine black man. (laughs) There were things that I had planned that that I did not want interrupted. (laughs) That's right. God knew. So... You know, the person that I was going to study the Bible with called and canceled. Dude uh, called and canceled. Wow. So I, was like, I can go. Wow. I can go. But he Pathway still, opened up for you. It opened up. It opened and up. I was still so cavalier about it. Like I got to the appointment late. I got there like five, 10 minutes late. And when I walked in, as I was signing in, the front desk admin said, Nurse Vicky has been looking for you. Mm. I'm like, what do you? What's what? Nurse Vicky want? Right. What right. she want? I'm negative. Exactly. And yeah. I'm thinking, well, all she has to do is just check the dressing on my my biopsy spot. I'm good. I heal well. And so she comes out, and I'm, you know, I'm expecting to go into an exam room, and she opens the door, and it's a conference room. Mm. It's a, a nice little circular table with the a thing of tissue on it. And she says, have a seat. And I said, you know, I started not to come because I read the pathology report and I'm good. And she said, what do you, what do you mean? 
what did you read? Right, right. It made you think you were good. <laughs> and and so I, she said, well, you are good, but you do have breast cancer. Mm. And in that moment, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, no. Let me show you the proof. You know, I right. <laughs> negative for invasive carcinoma. And she said, right. And above that, it says DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ which means mm. that you are stage zero and the breast cancer is contained within your milk duct. So if there is a best case basis, you have This it. is it, yeah. But you do have breast cancer. And mm. I'm like, whoa. That so it, I, yeah, in it? that moment, what's running through your head? Hmm. How can it be possible? Mm. In that moment, I felt like a failure. I felt like, mm. why did I spend these years of working out and eating right mm. and doing all and being such an advocate for those things if I was going to get breast cancer anyway? Mm. That's so and powerful, Pam. You know, I struggled with that yeah. for for a while, and then as I prayed about it and I journaled about it. I realized that those years of laying a foundation of a healthy body mm-hmm. prepared me for the fight. Mm. That maybe I wasn't able to stop it from happening, but my body was prepared. So because I wasn't addicted to sugar, because I wasn't um, a, a regular with processed foods and fried food and junk, fast food and, and pork and things, all those things that create additional health concerns. Right. I was walking into this diagnosis <clears throat> on no medication with no other pre-existing conditions. Wow. So that gave my body the ability to aggressively fight this particular diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And so the option was given to me at the time when I met with the surgeon to either do a lumpectomy followed by radiation or do a single breast mastectomy. And so I, because I do keep a clean inside, I knew I didn't want radiation. That was highly unappealing. That's just taking in toxin. And I, I remember my mom's experience with radiation and it was extremely ugly. Uh-huh. And um, neither did I want a mastectomy, but I'll tell you a pivotal conversation that I had with my brother of all people. Cause you think, okay, you're going to get that epiphany from a woman somewhere. Right. But my brother and I were talking about it and he said, Pam, why would you want to hold on to uh, that is trying to take your life? Uh, wow. And I thought, say no more. <laughs> right. Say right. no more. Yeah. And Cause so, oftentimes we're so, you know, we identify with our bodies thinking our bodies is who we are. Right. Right. It's like, and and I know, and as a woman, you know, I mean, we have these breasts from the age of maybe 12 and up and yep. become part of our identity and, um, and we want to hold on to them. And, and it's become, even now, I think, you know, in, in mainstream um, society, you know, breasts now it's, it's more of a, of a sexual thing, right? 
It's yeah. like, it, you know, and, and, and I get that, right? It's like, you know, I've nursed two children on these breasts and I always say, my, my girls did their tour of duty, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they did right. their tour of duty. And, you know, right. beyond that, you know, do we really need it? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so after hearing um, what your brother said, um, you made up your mind that you were going to do a double mastectomy. Well, at that point, it was just a single mastectomy. That was all ah, that I needed. And okay. I was committed to that. And then the week of March 15th hit. That was my hell week. So mm. that Monday, Monday evening at 945, our executive, our executive director of the branch that I serve at had a conference call with us where he announced that the Y, the YMCA of Greater mm-hmm. Charlotte was closing its doors because of the pandemic. Right. And so um, I had a momentary breakdown. I put my phone on mute and I cried like a baby because I'm like, if I'm not working, I don't qualify for health insurance and I have to have this surgery. I got to get this cancer out of me. What does that look like? And then after my two minutes of humanness, it hit me. (laughs) Who is your daddy? Right. You are tripping right now. Right. He got you. And I was like, my bad. Okay. 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 I'm good. And then, so Tuesday, the last day we were going to be open, you know, I go through the day. I'm good. I get a call from my um, the plastic surgeon because I opted for a very untraditional form of reconstruction. I opted mm-hmm. to donate fat tissue to myself mm-hmm. because I didn't want um, the headache of the implants. There are recalls, there are leaks, you have right. adjustments and updates every so often. I didn't want that. And I, again, I didn't want foreign substances in my body. And so there is a, a type of reconstruction called the deep flap reconstruction. And it stands for something, D-I-E-P. But it allowed, some people call it a tummy tuck. It is not that. <laughs> it ain't. I, I love the look on your face. Because <laughs> it ain't. Um, you, I, I'm cut hip bone to hip bone. Okay. And he cuts both skin and fat off mm. that to reconstruct my breasts. Wow. So my, um, so the, let me not get ahead. Okay. So that was the type of, uh, surgery that I had elected to have. It's basic. It was two surgeries basically. So there was the mastectomy, one surgeon handled that. And then one surgeon handled the reconstruction. Wow. So uh, Dr. Blair Warmer is my uh, plastic surgeon who did the reconstruction surgery. And mm-hmm. he called me on that Tuesday and he said, hey, got some news for you. He said, because the pandemic, it, coronavirus is ramping up, this um, your reconstruction is considered uh, not serious enough right now for us to be able to do that. So we can do the mastectomy. And then later on, when things die down, we can go back and do the reconstruction. But that means that we'll have to put expanders into an expander to hold the place. Right. Like, that's two different surgeries. I don't want two surgeries. Right. So I said, well, let me think about that. And I had, I had submitted my blood for genetic testing. On that Wednesday, I get a call from the genetic counselor telling me that I tested positive for the BRCA1 gene mutation. Mm. What that means is that I'm not only predisposed to breast cancer, but ovarian cancer and pancreatic cancer. 
So mm. that took the option of the mastectomy off the table. And that took the option of just one. That right. then required that I do the, the bilateral mastectomy and a double mastectomy and a hysterectomy. Mm. And so then um, when we looked at going back and checking, um, I had to do an MRI. And the MRI was to examine both breasts to make sure that they didn't overlook anything in the right breast since the focus was all on the left, which was where the So during that MRI, they discovered that the biopsy had removed the majority of the cancer in the left breast, and I didn't have cancer in my right breast. So as I was sitting and thinking about that, I thought, well, then maybe I can wait until I can just do one surgery. And I proposed that to my surgeons and they were fine with it. So, and my surgery date originally was scheduled on my oldest niece's 21st birthday. Wow. Can you imagine wow. having wow. Yeah. as your memory for your 21st birthday that you're right. no. your, your no. favorite aunt. Exactly. No. Right. Yeah. So, you know, God worked that out and my surgery was moved to the end of June. And that was when I had it. It was a 14 hour surgery. Wow. Wow. 14 hours. Wow, that's long. It was was long, but it was long because my doctor, he he was, they have to transfer blood vessels Mm -hmm. from my belly to my chest area. And the blood vessels, he said, are the thickness of hair. And so he has to find it and then connect it with you know, the sutures that are just as fine as the blood vessels. And he was taking extra time to connect as many as he could so that eventually I may have some feeling. That's amazing. It it was amazing. And he is amazing. I'm very thankful for my doctor team. So what were some of the inner struggles that you felt during this time? What were some of the things that were kept coming up for you? Man, you know, grieving. Right. I was not accustomed to grieving. I did not even thinking back to when I lost my mom and the way we were raised, my family does emergencies very well. Uh If you have a situation that you need taken care of, call the Hempsteads because we got you, you know, we, we know how to divvy up the responsibilities. You take so-and-so here, you make sure this food is here and we can do that part. The emotion part Right. That's where we fall super short. Yeah. And so I didn't know how to handle having feelings about it. I didn't mm. know how to grieve. I didn't know how to prepare going into this. And I was my I, I got a nurse navigator that was the one who told me that I had breast cancer. And um she called me at the end of my hell week and she said, you know what? You've had a lot. You've, you've heard a lot in a very short period of time. What do you think about counseling? I said, yeah, I need it. Right, and so right. she signed me up. Um, I was blessed with a counselor that helped me to just start processing all of my feelings. And as I got closer to my date, uh, I felt like I needed more. There was something that like I wasn't, I needed to go a little bit deeper to get there. Uh I have a sister in Christ who is a counselor and she specializes with victims of trauma. 
And I reached out to her and I was like, I, something's missing. I need, I need something more to prepare me for after the surgery. You know, when I get home, a lot of times people know how to go to the hospital and take you flowers and, right. you know, that first week mm-hmm. but after, after the dust settles. It's when the real work starts. I need to know how to do that. Yeah. And yeah. I don't. Yeah. And when we, we had a session and she said, what is your first recollection of your breasts? Mm. And it helped me to connect more to mm. them. She gave me a, a homework assignment and asked me to write a love letter to my breasts. Yes. Yes. And it helped me to just take that journey. You know, it's hard to allow yourself to feel pain, right? We avoid pain on purpose. We're great at it. We bypass it. Cuz it yeah. hurts. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't want I didn't want to feel it. I didn't want to feel the pain and so um right now even as I think about it, I feel my healing because I've had this conversation before and wasn't able to do it without a super amount of emotion. So I am praising God right now that I am mm-hmm. healing. But I have not been able to go back and read my journaling from that time period. Mm-hmm. That's how painful it still is. Um, the counseling, it, it was crucial for me because it helped me to unlock and give myself permission to cry. I come from a long line of, we don't have time for crying. Right. <laughs> you know, I didn't see my mom cry when my daddy died. And that was, so th- those are my marching orders. Strong means no crying. If you're crying, that means you're weak. We're not weak. Get it done. Yeah. And I remember in the beginning of the sessions, um, when uh, my counselor asked me, how are you processing your emotions? And my instant response was, I don't have time for that. Mm, wow. But you know, I mean, w- what you're bringing up is so important because so many people are like that, right? Like grief is this, like death, it's like the word death, it's like the great elephant in the room, right? And we just want to bypass it to feel better instantaneously. And we don't do the work, right? Right. But the work is required for the healing to happen. Yeah, I just want to get to the other side. Right. We want to get to the other side so quickly that we forget, wait a minute, there's something that I need to connect with. What am I feeling? Am I in my body? Mm. And doing the work around that is so crucial because you need that before the other can happen. Before true healing can actually happen, you need to be in touch with these emotions. And, And rather than actually have it stuck inside of you, which is what most of us when we're in grief, Mm-hmm. We tuck it away into some inner pocket, yeah, right? But it only comes up at some other point in your life. Right. You know, and that was one of the things after Hassel died, you know, I said, I can either choose to do this grieving now or I could do it later. And I'm like, I don't want to do it later when I'm older because I may not have the strength to do it then. That's right. And then it comes back with such gnarliness, right? Yeah, it does. It's It's angry. It's angry. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because you didn't acknowledge your pain. Right. 
And yeah. that's all grief is wanting. It's like there's this great sadness that has descended upon you. Can mm-hmm. you acknowledge my presence? Yeah, just feel me. Feel me. Mm-hmm. And and can you have some compassion for for me and for what you're going through? Yeah, and for yourself, you know, giving yes. yourself mercy and, yes. and recognizing it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to cry. Amanda, I, I have cried more this year than I think in my whole life. Yes. I cried every day leading yeah. up to my, my surgery. And and it just became a part of the process. And I gave I finally had to give myself permission, you know. It's okay to cry. God gave us that emotion and that ability because when you hold it in, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. Look, I, I, I'm like, the moment I feel sad, I feel, I feel a tear popping out. And I'm like, you know what? There's something that I'm healing. Let me let it out. Yeah. You know, and I've taught that to, to my daughters too. I'm like, you know, crying is a healing action. It's like it's a healing action. When you feel you need to cry, baby, cry. It's like no one has to yeah. like it. It's not for anyone else to like. That's and it's right. not And I think this sense of, and especially I think for us for, for as Black women, right, there's this sense that, oh, Black women are strong. Mm-hmm. They can get over anything. Mm-hmm. They can plow through anything. And that's a stigma, I think, that we've had throughout our history. And I'm like, I, I don't want that. Right. I'm like, I'm vulnerable and I'm fragile just like anyone else. That's right. You know, and we hold, we give so much and we hold so much for others that we forget to do the same for ourselves. You know what else I I would love to address? Not allowing yourself to cry. My youngest niece is a crier. She is an emotional being. And it wasn't until really this year that I was able to appreciate that. Mm. Because, you know, I grew up in the, what are you crying for? Why are you crying? Stop all that noise. You're crying over nothing. Right. But going through this journey, having her in my space Mm. gave me permission to Mm. feel comfortable crying. Right? Wow. My 11-year-old niece gave me permission to cry. And so now, rather than why are you crying, what's causing you to feel the way that you feel? That's right. That's right. Let's, let's talk about it. What can we address? Or do you just need space and time to feel what you feel? Yeah. And, and that's so important, especially for our young people, because, man, with, breast cancer in a pandemic is hard, but so is being a child in a pandemic. Yes. Because I have this, this uh, pre-existing condition now, I, I have no interest in her going to school because that exposes her and me uh-huh. to the coronavirus. Uh-huh. And, and I'm not uh-huh. in a position to be able to fight it as well as I could before breast cancer. Right. Uh, it's, you know, and, and thank you for bringing up the point with our, with our children because, in, you know, and we do this with boys too, especially, yes, you know, boys don't definitely. cry. Right. right. And it's like, what are we doing to our children? Right. We're, we're preventing them from becoming emotional beings. Yeah. And, when men grow up and, and we want to know, how are you feeling and why aren't you sharing it with me? Well, it's because I've been beat up. My cry. Right. Right. And I don't want to be abused anymore. So I'm just going to stuff my tears. I'm just going to stuff it down. Right. So how how has life changed for you now post surgery? Mm-hmm. So I have to 
really be intentional about my movement right now because I'm just, Tuesday will be week three from my hysterectomy. And so last week I got my feelings hurt because I was already at two miles a day. My, my, it would take me 20 minutes to walk one mile. I was proud. I had been on my bike. You see my bike back there. And my, both of the PAs, the physician's assistants just basically were like, pump your brakes. <laughs> You're doing I saw the post. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the, the physician assistant for the, my doctor who did my hysterectomy, I don't have as much of a rapport with her, but the one who is the, the physician assistant for the doctor who did my reconstruction, I have a mm-hmm. great rapport with her. And, and I love, I love that, you know, she's much younger, much younger than I am. And it is so irrelevant to her. Like she's like, respect my elders, not if you're doing something that's wrong, I'm going to tell you. And so she was like, you need to sit down. (laughs) So that's wearing me out because I'm, I feel good. So I want to start building. I want to get back to weightlifting. I want to get back to working out but I'm having to honor my body and recognize that I have been through some things. You have, you have. And I also wonder, right? Like, again, this idea of balance and it's like a balancing act of wanting to become so busy again, right? So back to this quote unquote normal, mm-hmm. right? Life that I used to have. But I wonder for you, because you, you're no longer the same Pam Hempstead that you knew. That's right. Right? You That's are right. brand new. And, and maybe this, this time, um, more in stillness, is for you to sort of look at all her curves and edges and, and, and who she's becoming. Because that also requires space and time to be with that. Yeah. Right? And, um, and, and also the honoring of the old Pam. Right. Like, what does that look like? And how do you honor uh, the Pam that held so much grief, but never gave herself the opportunity, the Pam that held the fears and and just honor her because she did the best that she could. Right. With what she knew how. And then you have an opportunity to celebrate this new Pam as well and maybe it looks different so yes exercise is part of that and 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 a healthy lifestyle um but what are the ways can you celebrate being healthy yeah you know Mm -hmm. so i think there's there's a lot there um still for you to unwrap it's like you know you you you're you're the gift you're the present Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like a Christmas morning, but we want to wrap, we want to take the bow off and we want to rip through the package. But, but maybe this time you, you say to yourself, you know what, I want to be in the mystery of unwrapping this present that is me. I'm yes. going to go, I'm going to go slow because I want to enjoy this. Mm, I love that. I want to enjoy this. And so savor there is, yes, yeah, savor it. I want you to savor yourself, Pam, because you're still unfolding and becoming after what you've just been through. And what you've just been through is a lot, my dear. It's a lot. It's a lot. So taking time to really settle in with that and to um, give yourself the spaciousness to see, okay, 
who am I? Mm-hmm. And, and what is my what is my purpose now? Mm-hmm. And how has that changed from my purpose before? Um, and just you know, just sit in with it. So sit in yeah. with it. Um, you know, so in this podcast, you know, we talk about grief and death and dying because these are things that are happening to us every day. Right. And so you went through a death, your breast, Mm -hmm. right. There was a dying and and, my uterus and your uterus. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there's also this, this new, this rebirth that is happening inside, Mm -hmm. you know, and also this grieving that also needs to happen. Right. And, um, and how do we bring all of those into this space to be honored and celebrated? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, celebrations and, and ceremony and rituals are some things we don't do anymore right. as, as, as a people. And so maybe it's, you know, with your sisters in Christ, you, you get together, however you can get together during this COVID time and you do a fire ceremony, whatever it is that comes to you mm-hmm. and you, you honor, you honor being woman. Right, right. Know? And, um, and, and I feel as women, we don't do these things anymore um, for ourselves just to bring the connection of this being human, which this being human is so fragile, mm-hmm. you know, really so, so fragile. And I'm reminded of it each and every day. And, you know, when I, when I pray and I was like, oh, God, I, I can't do this alone. Right. Just can't. And, you know, um, so. What are some real truths that you'd like other women to know about having breast cancer? That's a great question. I would say that there are so many forms of breast cancer. Yeah. And that it's important to arm yourself with knowledge. The first piece of knowledge is by being proactive and getting those yearly mammograms. And if you know that it runs in your family, even if you're in your 20s or your 30s, push for a baseline so that you can have your breasts examined and know as each year passes by what that progression looks like. Push for genetic testing and you may have to pay for it out of pocket. I had to pay for mine out of pocket because... Since both my mom and I were in our 50s when we were diagnosed with breast cancer, Mm. they didn't see a a genetic um, connection. Connection. So I had to pay 250, but it was the best 250 that I've spent because it helped me to make some decisions from a place of knowledge and not guessing. And my sister, I have a, a different father from my sister and my brother. So they have one father and I have one father. My sister tested negative for the BRCA1 gene mutation, which tells me that my mutation comes probably from my father's side. Right. And um, so it's important to get that testing done so you know. So there's that. But there's also really just giving yourself the space and the time to process your emotions and your feelings. That would be my biggest lesson of this journey, Uh just giving myself permission to feel those things. But to also, in addition to allowing myself to feel, to also recognize where my help comes from. Uh 
And I wouldn't have been able to do this without my relationship with my, my father in heaven. And that is, he's the equalizer because no matter how bad it looks right here, right. He got me. And so that was what I was able to take refuge in. Yeah. And the importance of your, your circle. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. circle. I did learn that there are some, some very dumb things that people can say <laughs> when they hear about a diagnosis like breast cancer. Mm-hmm. But I've been guilty of saying some of the same things out of ignorance, just not knowing yeah. how it comes across or how it feels. Right. And so, you know, I could write a book on that. I am writing a book. And yeah, yeah I was about to say, and you probably should write another book. Yeah. Um, so you kind of hit on my next question was, you know, what role did your faith play? But um but going a little bit deeper, why why is faith and trust so important? Not just when you receive a diagnosis like that or during these pandemic times, but you know, I think just just our normal day to day life, right? And, and how can we incorporate faith and trust when you know you look around you and you realize that, that everything else has just dissolved? So what else do you have, right? You know, uh, a lot of people were looking at 2020 as the year of great vision and oh, we're going <laughs> to yes. do this and we're yes. going to go there. We've got all these plans. Yes. The church is going to do this. And God said, pause. Slow your roll. Put a pause on that. I'm taking everybody out of these buildings. I'm putting you in your house. Mm. I'm giving you time to sit and be still yes. and recognize who I am. Yes. And this is mm. the strongest I have been spiritually mm. ever because of that pause. Yes. Every morning now I get up and I sit on my porch and I have my coffee and I have time with him and I read the word and I pray. When I go walking, I talk to him about this beautiful earth that he has blessed me with. Yes. Lord, look at the skies. The sky is beautiful. These trees, the birds. And I, I take time to be mindful of where I am and what things smell like and what I hear and what I see and what I taste. All of that I would never have done. I have never sat on my porch or my patio prior what? to 2020. And I've been in this house wow. for 16 years. And I'm on them every day now. And so this, this, sometimes it takes turning our worlds upside down for us to recognize what we have access to. <laughs> and that's yeah. our faith in him. That's his presence in our lives. Yeah. 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 You know, I just moved and, um, you know, talking about the trust part, you know, I wasn't, uh, you came to my house, uh, I think it was in June. He took a couple pictures of me and, and then, that place was magnificent, wasn't it? I mean, it's like just amongst trees. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm not moving. But in July, I wake up in the middle of July and, and I woke up with this message, the spirit saying, your house is ready for you. And I'm like, say what? My what? And I'm like, and, and it was so strong, Pam, your house is ready for you. And I said, so either one of two things, I'm crazy or God is really speaking to me and I need to trust and have faith in what this message I'm receiving. Right. So, you know, my niece who's my realtor, she's in Atlanta. I, I, I text her that same day 
I'm like, I need for you to look at houses that are available in Mooresville or Davidson. And she's like, why? I was like, the spirit said a house is ready for me. She's like, what? (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I was like, I know, right. I was like, I know this sounds crazy. I was like, but the feeling is so strong and I just need for you to check. And she checks the next day she comes back with a couple of listings and it was the very first house. I knew it. And I was like, I need to go and see that house. So I go on Friday. So before going, my daughter and I, before going on Friday, I'm coming out of my car. I have a client that I'm seeing before and this car passes by me and the license plates in that car says home for you now. Mm. That was before going to see the house. I was like, okay, God, I get the message. I go to see the house and this back of this house is a wooded lot, just trees and a creek running through the middle of it. That's amazing. And I was like, yes, this is my house. And, you know, so going back to the theme of faith and trust, in that moment, I just knew I heard this voice and I knew it was the voice of God and I knew God was setting me up for something. And I was like, you know, this might be completely crazy to everyone else, but for me, okay. it's right. It doesn't have to make sense to anyone else. It only has to make sense for me. And, right. and I think as we go into this journey with, with our creator, it's, you know, like you said, who is my daddy, mm-hmm. right? Like, where am I building my foundation? Mm-hmm. And you know that if we have that foundation, when everything else crumbles and we see everything happen with this pandemic, there's so many systems that are crumbling, so many friendships and families. Yes. Even even ourselves, even our identity, our jobs, everything, right? When right. everything, right. When all of those things dissolve, it's like, okay, who am I without those things? And what's left? Mm-hmm. What's left? Right. And, and I'm, you know, and so I think this idea of faith and trust is so important for us to practice. And it's just like, you know, practicing anything else and developing a muscle for it, right? Yes. The more you do it, the more you, be, you, you get comfortable, the more your confidence increases with it. And, um, and especially when you've been given any type of diagnosis about anything, it's like, right. where do I go to? Yeah. What's my rock? Mm-hmm. Right. And friends and family certainly are that as well. But, you know, we're talking about something from the inside, right? This interiorness where where God lies within us, right? right? Is that something that's not seen by anyone, but it's felt by you. And you know that you can rely on that thing because that's the one thing that never changes. Exactly. Yeah. He is always and always will be. And And, you know, the thing about having a relationship with the Lord is that with friends and family, they want to be there for you, but there will yeah. be some time at some point in your life where they will yeah. not be able to be there. Right. They won't be able to answer that call. They won't be able to have the words that give you the soothing that you need, right. like the one that created you. That's correct. You know, he, he knows us best. He yes. knows us well. He knows us on an intimate basis and he knows exactly what we need. It's just that trust and that faith that has to be developed to recognize. And you know what, man, Amanda, there might be even times when you don't even know what to say. That's right. That's the beauty of having the relationship and, and, and having that relationship with Christ, because 
since he walked the face of this earth, he knows what human emotions feel like. So since I don't know what to ask for, he knows. He's like, Father, she's asking for this, but in addition, she needs some of this too. Right. Asking for some mercy, but she needs some grace and she needs some wisdom and some discernment. And she needs a little bit of love. And can we send so-and-so over to to hug her or or send somebody to smile or he knows it. And so that is the sweetest part of the relationship with him because we don't have to explain. We don't have to give background. Oh, well, you need to know this about me. He knows. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and what you just said is so true. And I, I could remember, you know, the first few months after Hassel died, I was just in a very dark place. And um, and my doorbell rang. I remember this one particular day, my friend Biggie, um, she, I wasn't expecting her. The doorbell rang and she brought me, she came bearing gifts. She's like, I just wanted to come and give you a hug. And it was exactly what I needed to kind of pull me back from that dark space. And in that moment, I'm like, wow. I was like, God really does know what I need. I didn't know what I needed, right? Mm -hmm. All I know is I was going down this rabbit hole of my own darkness and my grief. But Mm -hmm. the doorbell rang and someone came in. I just wanted to come and give you a hug. That's like, how awesome. It's like, how awesome. Right? Um. So before we end, um, you know, you're wearing a shirt that says hashtag Flossum. Yeah. Um, tell me about that. <laughs> so there's a group of uh, women, they're called for Christian girls, and they, they do these monologues, which are absolutely phenomenal. And they devised the shirt and it just basically, God is awesome. And I have my flaws, but the, the God in me makes me flossom. Flossom, you know, I love that. Flaws and his awesomeness, I am flossom. And it is just, you know, a, just a great reminder yeah. that it's all right. <laughs> it is. And, you know, and I think we need to be reminded of that. And I'm constantly reminding myself of it and constantly reminding my clients of it, too, that in this human journey, we're going to have all of these humanness of imperfections. But in this other hand is our divineness, which is completely perfect. That's right. And can we walk? We're walking both of those paths, not not separately, but as one. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this flossum is perfect, right? That we can yeah. hold, you know, our sins and our salvations together. Yeah. You know, if yeah, you know, whatever means. But um, and 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 I think that gives us permission to soften into it, right? That we can have the inner ache. But we can also have the other, the compassion, the love that's, you know, sort of soothing it like a bomb and a solve at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's not one or the other. It's it's this allowing ourselves to be so incredibly human, you know, and I think this was yeah. even, you know, one of the greatest message that Jesus taught us is like, it's okay to be human. Mm-hmm. It's okay yeah. to feel the pain and the ache and the wounds and the crosses that you're going to have to bear. Absolutely. You know, and, and to to have someone who model it so perfectly for us, right? And you know, the feeling those feelings and also taking care of yourself. Yes. He took care of himself. He took time away and rested. He took time away and prayed. Yep. He took time away for solitude. He yep. had an inner circle and he had an outer circle. I mean, there are so many things that we could... Yeah 
if we followed his his lead, that it yes. would make our lives so much easier. Yes. So in closing, if there's anyone listening to this message that um, might be having going through some struggles or might have breast cancer, what message would you have for them? Well, first off, I would say that your faith is going to get you through. And secondly, I would say information is key. Do the research, read, ask questions, have someone with you when you go to the doctor, take notes. Don't be afraid to take more time than you think you should to get all of your questions answered and make sure that you have a support system. One of the things that was beneficial for me was I was able to test my inner circle before that, before <laughs> breast cancer. And um, they were my everything, physically speaking. And, you know, you have, like I said, people will come when you're in the hospital, they'll come right when you get out and they'll bring the food. But then there's that period, two, three weeks afterward, when you really need the care. And that's when your inner circle kicks mm-hmm. in and they've got your back and they see you through and and, and so it's important to make sure that your inner circle is, is solid and tight and, and really just be on top of your health care and, and recognize that breast cancer is not just a woman thing. There are men who get breast cancer as well. So it's important for us to not bury our heads in the sand, but be on diligent about getting those checks yearly. Right. Thank you. And if anyone wanted to get in touch with you to ask you questions, where can they find you? I'm on Facebook by my name, Pamela Hempstead. I'm on Instagram at Pamela Hempstead. And so I am very easy to find. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Pam, for um, this very beautiful and powerful and inspirational time. And, you know, I think our listeners will get so much uh, that they'll take away from just hearing your story and, and hearing your strength, your courage, and also your vulnerability. And, um, you know, it's, it's not just about being strong, right? Well, willingness. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I've been wanting to do this for a while. And, you know, it's, we said two weeks ago, a couple months ago, and <laughs> so we're finally getting to it. So thank you. And we'll talk and chat. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. You're welcome. Thank you, Amanda. You're Bye, welcome, everybody. Pam. Bye.